Hey, if you'll excuse me for just a second, um, I didn't get to eat breakfast this morning, and I am really hungry. Lori, you're right. This thin crust pizza is really good from John's Market, uh, Hunt's Pizza. Now, how rude of me to eat this in front of you. So if you'd like a piece of pizza, just raise your hand. We got some people who are going to actually hand some out, so I knew you guys would. Don't forget Don and Jack in the back. We got Jason. See, I told you to raise your hand today. I'm going to have uh, pizza juice on my notes. And don't tell Mary. Uh, Mary Jane's not here, but she's going to wonder why there's uh, a piece of pepperoni on the on the lectern. Now, now eating eating a piece of uh, I don't know if anyone's listening right now, but I'll just go ahead and talk anyway. Eating a piece of pizza, and you will notice this is a uh, basically a, a supreme piece of pizza. When when I was uh, when I was a kid, we didn't get to go eat pizza very much. But in high school, we started going to this pizza place in Mount Vernon, Illinois, named Monocles. And at Monocles, we always got cheese pizza. And and it was, in fact, I thought of that this week, and I thought, man, my mouth started watering because that that cheese pizza was wonderful. When when I got to college, though. Uh, I started going to a, a pizza place called Ken's Pizza. It was on 4th and Range Line. In fact, I don't think it's even there. It's been torn down. But but at Ken's Pizza, I, I started getting sausage pizza. And I thought, man, cheese pizza was great, but sausage pizza, that's even better. And it literally was years later. Reed and I had been married, had three kids, and and we were at our friend's house, Don and Sarah Hintz's, and they, they'd ordered pizza from Pizza Hut, and and all they ordered was Supreme. And I'm thinking, I don't like Supreme, but I took a bite of it. And wow, man, I, the, the, the green peppers and the onions, just like, sweet, why I've been missing out on this forever. Now, you might be wondering what pizza has to do with church. Well, nothing, actually. I just thought I'd hand out some pizza, get free advertising for John's. No, no. Uh, Actually, it, it really doesn't have anything except for the idea of supreme. Uh, see, supreme is has this concept of, of being complete or 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 the whole thing or total or or being loaded. A a cheese pizza is fine, and a, a sausage pizza is is great, but man, a supreme pizza has it all. We're we're starting a series today. Uh, from the book of Colossians. Um, and and if you're looking for a theme for the book of Colossians, if you want to kind of just get something that summarized the, the whole book, or at least why the book was written, um, and particularly if you want to have this at kind of in the back of your mind, so, so as the book is written, as you as you read along it, you, you remember this this one theme. The the theme is what Paul really wants them to get is that idea of supreme in 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 exacting way his supremacy see there was no one like jesus no one better no one more qualified than jesus no one had had experienced both the perfection of heaven as well as the trials of earth like jesus he was supreme and uh excuse me for saying this if jesus were a pizza he would be a supreme so paul writes Paul writes this letter to the church at Colossae, and 
And he, wa- he writes it to remind them or, or to lay this foundation, which was important for them, of the supremacy of Jesus. Now, there's a couple of interesting things that come out just as you, uh, as we start this book. Number one, these were people that Paul didn't know. He had never visited the, the church at Colossae. He had, he had been to a lot of different churches, a lot of churches near there, but Paul really had never been to that church. Now, there is a chance that some of the people there knew him, that, that some of the people had heard Paul speak. Uh, he had been in Ephesus. Ephesus wasn't that far away, so possibly some of them knew who, certainly knew who Paul was, but maybe they had actually heard him speak. The second thing we know from this, we'll see it a couple times in the text in chapter 1, is that Paul Paul was praying for this church, and he was thankful for this church. If you have, have your Bibles, turn to, uh, to the book of Colossians. We're going to be in chapter 1 today, and actually for the next two or three weeks. But but look at just the first couple, or the first uh, of the chapter, verses 3 and 4. This is what Paul says, and he starts this letter. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. Uh, so, so Paul was thankful for the church and he was praying for them. But his real reason, the, the, the thought behind this book, what he was attacking in this book was a, a heresy. He, he was writing to counteract some false teaching that had taken hold in the church. Wilbur Fields, who was a professor at Ozark Christian College, in his commentary on Colossians says this, basically, basically the Colossian heresy was the denial of the adequacy and perfect supremacy of Christ. Thus Paul attacks the heresy by telling of Christ's true nature, glory, and work. Every heresy that has ever existed has involved in some way a denial of Christ's perfection, and adequacy. It downgrades him or rejects what scripture says about him. So, so the heresy in, in the church there at Colossae was a mixture of Jewish, Greek, and pagan ideas. Uh, and, and what it ended up turning into was a philosophy that kind of came into, into flavor really about a hundred years later. It was an early form of what was known as Gnosticism. Gnosticism comes from the Greek word Gnosis, which means to know or knowledge. And the root of Gnosticism, hang on here, I know this may get a little, this may be a tad bit boring, but at the root of Gnosticism has a belief that, that holiness or fulfillment, uh, or, or you're reaching a higher level of consciousness only comes from knowledge. Gnostics believe that they were the possessors of this knowledge, that they had figured out how to how to get to a higher level, and it was through an intellectual approach. Now, now let me just point out here quickly. In a real sense, our world uh, and the philosophy of Gnosticism is is actually prevailing. Now, most people most people wouldn't consider themselves that. They probably don't even know what it means. But but the reality is, our world kind of sees sees their philosophy of life in that same way. Particularly, all you have to do is look at politics. Our, our progressive politicians, they're full-fledged, unabashed, practicing Gnostics. They may not know that, but they believe that we can reach a higher level of goodness, a more perfect understanding of life. And, and I think politicians even believe that, that they can get us to some level of almost a salvation, not through God, 
And certainly not through a relationship with Jesus Christ, but through Gnosticism, through knowledge. And this was what was infecting this church at Colossae. Another aspect of Gnosticism was that they thought that the spiritual world, it, this is kind of a weird way of thinking, but they thought that the spiritual world and the physical world, so so, so we are the physical world, anything you can feel, touch, see, uh, they, they thought that the spiritual world and the, the, the physical world never intersected, that they never had anything to do with, with each other. In fact, they believed that if there was a God that, that was somehow spiritual, he didn't care about the physical world. In fact, they didn't even believe that he created the spiritual world. In a couple of weeks, we'll see where Paul uh, talks directly uh, about this. So they believed that the spiritual, which was all good, and the physical, which is all bad, never touched one another, never came in contact with one another. So in essence, what they were saying about Jesus was one of two things. Either Jesus was spiritual and he really never had any contact with earth. He, he didn't know what it was like to be human. He didn't know what it was like to come here. And even worse, if, 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 uh, if he somehow had, he didn't really care. Or that he was, he was human. And as human, he was flawed, uh, and, uh, and evil just like everyone else. So Paul writes to this church, to let them know Jesus is supreme. Jesus is supreme. Today we're gonna, we're gonna start looking at chapter one. We'll, we'll be in verses, uh, verses nine through fourteen. We'll finish this next week. What we're gonna see is that Paul starts off by, by saying a prayer for the church. And in this prayer he, he prays for four things. We're just gonna look at one of those today. One of the four things he prays for. You're also going to see that he begins to attack kind of in a subtle way. He, he doesn't ever say it right here in this prayer, but, but the reality of this prayer is he attacks this idea of Gnosticism, this, this idea of coupling uh, or, or decoupling spiritual God and uh, physical us. If you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 9 through 14. Uh, follow along. We're just going to... We're going to look at that prayer. Again, we're just going to look at the first part of it. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we heard that, that you had a church that you began to believe, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God, so that's his prayer, to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Notice how many times knowledge comes up here, that same Greek word, uh, fortunately. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you and to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. First thing you notice there is that he just blows the the Gnostic uh, philosophy away. He is coupling, he is pulling God and us together, Jesus and us together. So, so if if you're going to listen to what Paul says, you can't get away from the fact that they are together. Now, this is his this is his prayer. Uh, he prays first of all that we know God's will. For this reason, since the day we heard about it, we, we've not stopped 
praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. His first part of his prayer, the first thing he asked God for is that they would know God's will for their life. Now, who doesn't want to know what God's will is? Who doesn't want to know what God's will for their life is? And yet, and yet I think sometimes we struggle with that. Let me, let, let me, I'm, I'm going to take a risk here, but let me, let me ask this question to see how, how you guys respond. By, by show of hands, if you can, if you can do this, raise your hand. By show of hands, how many of you know what God's will for your life is? By show of hands, just go ahead and raise your hands. Okay, a couple of you did good. Okay. You know, that's how most people, that's how most people respond. We, we stress over and we're doubtful that we understand God's will. That's what Paul's praying. Hey, I want you to know God's will. And yet we struggle with, well, what is God's will for my life? Well, it prompts two questions. We're just going to look at these two questions. We'll be done. Here's the first one. What is it? <laughs> so, so most of you, for those of you that were at home, you couldn't see uh, only a couple people raised their hand. Yeah, I know what God's will for my life is. So, so I assume at home there were some of you sitting on your hands as well. Uh, cause it'd been weird if you'd raise your hand at home, but, uh, but, but most of us, we don't know what God's will is. So, so hopefully you're going to want to know what that, uh, the answer to that question. Well, what is it? What is God's will for my life? I had a, I had a professor in college. His name was Nofel Staten. Uh, and, uh, great professor, brilliant man. And he wrote a, it was actually just a little book. It's only about 70, 80 pages long, a little book called How to Know the Will of God. I'm like, man, that is a great book. Just happened that one of his classes, you had to buy that book for the class. Funny how that works out, but but how to know the will of God and and to summarize that book, to summarize what he said in that book, he said that God has two kinds of wills for our life. Uh, here's the first one: He has a general will. He has a general will in his book. He illustrates this idea of a general will with an umbrella. So, so imagine an umbrella. If you're holding an umbrella and you're under, you're underneath that umbrella, you're directly under the umbrella. As long as you are under the general umbrella will of God, the general will of God, you are in His will. Well, what's What's the general will of God? We, we struggle to know what it is, but the reality is Scripture really is simple and plain. It tells us what God's will is. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with some verses. If you have your Bibles, get ready to, to, to fire through some verses. We're going to be in John 15 first, and, and then we're going to look at several in Matthew. And, and these are just a handful of verses. I, I could have had dozens and dozens and dozens of others, but, but this is kind of general will kind of stuff. John 15, 13 to 14, this is Jesus talking. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You want to know what God's will for your life is? His will is that we love one another. And if we love one another, you know what? You are doing the will of God. And if you know that that's what you're supposed to do, you know God's will for your life. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. Again, several verses I could have put here, but verse 14 says, 
For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Guess what is directly under the general will of God? Is that we forgive one another. So, so if I learn how to forgive like Jesus forgives, if, if someone wrongs me and, and it doesn't feel right, I don't want to do it, but because I believe in Jesus and I want to be like Him, I, I somehow muster up the ability for, to forgive them. You know what? I'm directly under the will of God. And if you know that you're supposed to forgive, you know what God's will for your life is. Later on in chapter 6, 19 and 20, he says, this is kind of a generic, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Prioritizing not the things of the world, but but things that are going to last, prioritizing treasures in heaven, that's that's God's will for your life. If you understand that, if you know that verse, then you know the will of God. Matthew 6, 33, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be, be given to you as well. Seek God first, seek Jesus first. You know what? You're in the will of God. Matthew 25, 40. Now this is one verse of a, a big section, and you know that section. The, the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these my brothers, you did for me. Remember what, what he said? I, uh, you, you, uh, you saw me hungry and fed me and thirsty and gave me something to drink. You saw me naked and you clothed me and you saw me sick and you busied me and in prison. You busied me. If, if you care about other people and you know that's what we're supposed to do, you know the will of God for your life. Mark 10. 43, 44, not so with you instead. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave. Realizing that, that others become first, that servanthood is, is our highest goal. That's, that's the will of Jesus. Ephesians 5, 1, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Ephesians 5, 15 and 7 through 17. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Church, knowing the will of God is not hard. Now, you thought it was because no one, only a couple of you raised your hands. You all thought, man, I, I can't figure out what God's will for my life. I wish I knew what God's will for my life. The, the rally is knowing the will of God is not hard. But where we struggle is doing the will of God. See, it's not so much do I know it as much as it is will I obey it. I, I believe Paul's prayer in, here in Colossians is that they would know and understand what God's general will for their life was. Uh, and, and really the simplest way you can say that, kind of the easiest way you can say that, is, is we need to be like Jesus. We, we need to love like Jesus. We need to forgive like Jesus. We need to serve like Jesus. We, we need to care like Jesus. We need to interact with people like Jesus. And if you do those things, you're, you're under that big umbrella and you are directly in the will of God. We need to be like Jesus. So, so let me ask that question again by show of hands. 
How many of you know what God's will for your life is? Yeah. Yeah, we, we didn't think we did, but, but the reality is we do. So, so we know what His general will for our life is. It's to, to know Him personally and then be like Jesus. Love, forgive, serve, care, all that kind of stuff like Jesus. Uh, Staten does go on in his book and list a second, a, a second will. Uh, now I'll be honest, this is the one when I asked that question, you were thinking this one. And that's why we don't ever raise our hand on that one. That's why we're stumped. He's, he says that second will is called a specific will. See, see, we, we might be thinking, I, I know about that love and I know about that forgiveness stuff and that service and that caring about other stuff. But what I really want to know is what does God really want for me specifically? What, what, what are the actual things in my life that He wants? When my, oldest boy, my, my, our firstborn Brian was, I don't know, probably about 11 months old. When, when he was just a baby, we started buying balls, right? little foam balls and little footballs. And I mean, he, that, his toy box was full of balls. I, I love baseball, basketball, golf, and he had balls. And he was about 11 years, or 11 years old, uh, 11 months old, and he picked up a wiffle ball. And, and I can still see in my mind, we've got a picture somewhere of him getting ready to throw. But he picked up a wiffle ball and and he threw it and I thought, whoa, that kid has an arm. And it was probably two months later that I put one of those uh, one of those wiffle ball bats. You know, they're about that long and the barrel of the bat's about that big. The whole bat's all barrel except for the grip. And and I put one of those in him uh, in his hands and I pitched the ball to him and it wasn't on the first pitch, but second, third, fourth, twentieth pitch somewhere in there. He swung that bat and hit the ball and whistled a line drive right past my head. And I thought, man, this kid is good. And I began, I began to dream of what God was going to do with him. And I began to think Brian is going to play professional baseball. And, and, and once you start dreaming, I mean, you just might as well go for the whole, the, the whole thing. So, so I began to think, man, when he signs that first, big contract he's going to because this is what they do he's going to build a brand new huge house for Rita and I and probably get us a you know me a new truck and her a new SUV and man we're going to go to ball games and we're not going to be sitting we free tickets not up in the balcony but we're going to be right behind behind home plate wherever we want to go he's going to get it and I began to think wow that is going to be so great that God is going to make him a baseball player now I don't know when it it hit me now, now the reality is, he was a good baseball player, he was a good basketball player, and good athlete. But, but somewhere along the line, it hit me that uh, that he probably wasn't that good. And the reality is, I began to think differently, and I began to think, you know what? I hope that he grows up, and I hope that he knows God. And 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 when he grows up, I hope that he is a a, a good man. And I hope that he is a good father and a good husband. And, and I began to think not so much the specific. Now, now I knew that God was going to do something specific with, with his life. Now there was part of me that was hoping he'd go into ministry, which he ended up doing. So that was sweet. But, but I wasn't so worried about the specific. I thought that's going to work itself out as long as that general is, is there. He is a man of God. Then, then that's going to, going to work. Now, you may disagree with me on this, and it's okay. I think that God is more concerned with His general will for our life 
than he is his specific will for our life. Now, now let, let me step that back just a little bit. That doesn't mean that he doesn't have a, a specific will for our life. That doesn't mean that he wants us to be, uh, be sensitive to his calling, his direction, his specific will for us. He, he does. But we will never know God's specific will for our life until we're living obediently in his general will. Let me say that again. We'll never know his specific will for our life until we're living obediently in his general will. So if we're living under that that umbrella of his general will, we've accepted him as our our Savior. We're we're loving like Jesus. We're forgiving like We're doing all of that stuff. Then we're going to be sensitive to that specific will. So, so two questions. Number one, what is his will? Here's the second one, and we'll finish here. Why, why worry? Why, why worry about what his will is? We, we stress over knowing what God wants us to do for our life, and really simple. And I think the specific looks just like the general here. He wants us to look like Jesus. Ephesians two ten says. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's specific will kind of stuff. As a believer, God already has specific things already planned for you to do. That verse confirms the fact that he has a specific will for your life. And as God has planned those opportunities for your your life, we certainly need to be okay obedient to those i don't i don't know what god's specific will for your life is he he may have plans for you to show compassion to someone and and when you do you look like jesus he he may have plans for you to forgive someone and when you do you look just like jesus he he may have specific plans for you to serve someone that person might pop into your life today and when you do, you look like Jesus. Maybe his plans are for you to encourage someone, to say a word that lifts someone up, that pulls him out of a, of a bad spot. And when you do, you look like Jesus. Maybe maybe just wants you, like he said in, in John, to love someone. And when you do, you look like Jesus. So I think his specific will will look less like what kind of car he wants us to buy or what job he wants us to have or what city he wants us to live in and a whole lot more like when can I show up in your life so that you look like me. Paul wrote this letter to a church that was struggling with their faith. They were struggling with these weird ideas and and he said, you know what? Jesus is supreme. Jesus is the one. And my prayer is that you'll know what his will for your life is. And, and really, that is live and look like him. So this week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday evening, you don't feel like cooking, so you call 785-985. I don't know what the other four numbers are. but uh, You call John's Mark and said, hey, I, I need a pizza with everything on it and extra cheese. Lori, I forgot to tell you to hold the black olives. My bad. Uh, will you think about Jesus? That Jesus is supreme. 
And will you ask yourself, is he supreme in my life? Would you bow with me quickly in prayer? Father, we thank you for the words of Paul in in this little book of Colossians. Father, he, he was attacking a philosophy that that was over 2,000 years ago, and yet it still plagues our hearts today. It plagues our world today. Uh, probably even plagues our church. Lord, help us. Help us see your supremacy in our life and, and try to live to be like you. In Jesus' name, amen.